1: Spooksters, and welcome back to another episode here on Three Spooked Girls. My name is Tara, and as always, I'm joined by my lovely ghoul friend, Jessica. Hello. Hello, hello. And this week is a true crime week on the show. Today we have quite the doozy for you. It's a big one. It is a big one, and I will just go ahead and preface and say I have no fucking clue if this will be a long, long episode or a two-part episode. We shall see. Depends how long we talk. So you might be getting an extra episode. Or not. We'll see. (laughs) Gonna
0: be up to Tara. She does the editing. Shall be up
1: to me. Shall be up to me.
0: If she's like, this is taking too long, she's gonna be like, it's two parts now (laughs) instead of one part.
1: We shall see. But this week, we are going to sit down and talk about BTK or Dennis Rader. Yes. Yes. Goodness. We got all kinds of shit to talk about with him. Mm-hmm. Jessica has the murders and then I will pick it back up for how he got caught, the trial and all of that good stuff. And then a little bit of an update on him today. Yes. Yes. But before we jump into that, of course, we have business and drinks and all of that good stuff. So, yes. Yay! So, if you are new here, hello. Thank you for listening. We appreciate you being here. We are on all the platforms. You can get us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all of that good stuff. It is in the show notes down below in the link tree. Everything there for your quick and easy clicking convenience. (laughs) We are also on the podcast junkie Discord if you would like to come chat over there with us anytime. And if you'd like to support the show, you can come over to patreon.com slash three spooked or that's in the link tree as well. For as little as a dollar, that can get you access to our bonus episodes. And we also have a couple other tiers as well that gets you some extra goodies that includes stickers. Mugs, and now our new pins. I'm excited for the pins. Yes, that you can check out. So that is super cool. So next week is our podcast anniversary. Yay! For one year here on Three Spooked Girls. And we are going to be having a live episode streaming in our Facebook group. If you missed out on that on our socials, you can join Three Spooked Girls official Mm link tree as well and we are going to be discussing the infamous John Benet.
0: Yes, we're coming at you with, you know, the golden standard of investigation.
1: Mhm. It's going to be a lot of fun and we might be giving away some swag, might be having some fun. Definitely come check that out.
0: Lots of possibilities and I apologize now for earphone listeners. I realized I shouted really
1: <laughs> loud. <earlier. laughs> it's okay. So yeah, lots of cool stuff and that's that's all in all in the show notes as usual as well. But uh, enough of the business. So what you drinking? What's our drink?
0: Ah, well, (laughs) I'm not exactly like thrilled with my drink this week, Mm. but it works for this. Mm -hmm. So like we said this week, we are talking about Dennis Rader, and he's also known as the BTK killer. And that sounds for bind, torture, kill. And... I don't know if you guys know this, but he was a father and his daughter has written a famous, well, semi famous book. Just came out this year. It's gotten a lot of press. Even my main man, Dr. Phil, has talked about it. So, you know. So we decided we were 10 and we were like, how do we pick a drink Mm -hmm. for this? So we did Not Your Father's Lemonade Cocktail because in an interview, she wishes sometimes he wasn't her father.
1: Yep. So what's in it?
0: You are going to need one 12 ounce not your father's root beer, which is alcoholic. So if you're underage, you can't do it. 12 ounces of homemade or pre-made lemonade mix, juice of two lemons, one lemon slice with seeds removed, honey, two tablespoons of lemonade mix and ice cubes. You're going to divide one 12 ounce bottle of root beer into two mason jars and then add four ounces of the lemonade mixture to the jar. Then squeeze the lemon. So like one lemon into each one and then drizzle honey on top of the jar. Fill the jar with ice cubes, then screw on the mason jar lids and shake until there's no tomorrow is what it says. Remove lids and smear honey around the rim. Then just dust the rim with some lemonade mix. And then if you want, you can put some fresh sprigs of mint and then enjoy. All right. Okay. So are we ready to start talking about Dennis Reeder?
1: I mean, I was going to tell him what I was drinking.
0: Oh, I'm rude as fuck. I'm sorry. What are you drinking? (laughs) Sorry, best friend. Sorry. <laughs> I mean,
1: me, you know. It's fine. I'm such a <laughs> jerk. I'm like, mm, I'm done. Moving on. <laughs> um, I grabbed a new, I don't know if it's new or just new to me, a, another bottle of 19 Crimes wine. I grabbed their Pinot Noir. You said Pinot Noir and then my head went straight to like Kimmy Schmidt <laughs> and singing that song.
0: So it's your fault for grabbing a Pinot Noir.
1: I know every time. It's very delicious, though. So, you know, there we go. And I also I have like multiple drinks. So I also have uh, a Baja Blast Ooh, and water. I have all the drinks right now.
0: (laughs) I have water. I have my drink. And then I've been on these things. We were at Costco the other day. Mm -hmm. And of course, it was pink packaging. So I was like, ooh, what's that? (laughs) And it's Ocean Spray's Sparkling Pink Cranberry. It's like sparkling water mixed with cranberry juice. So it's just like sparkly cranberry juice. There you go. Which if you know me, I love the like the ginger, the cranberry ginger ale stuff. So it's kind of holds me over.
1: There you go. But yeah, other podcasters or other anybody, does anybody else do multiple, multiple drinks? Because I always have minimum two.
0: (laughs) Right. (laughs) My husband will be like, you're just recording for like an hour. I'm like, but I might want that or that or that within that hour. And I can't just get up and go.
1: Right. Exactly. Shit. But yes, if you do that, too, let us know. Tag us. Show us.
0: (laughs) Or even if you're just a person in the real world walking around and you're like, I always carry more than one drinks. What are your two go to
1: drinks? Like, what are your must haves? Hey, how about this? First person to post it and tag us I will send you a free sticker Ooh! boom 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 but before we dive in we're gonna go ahead and take our quick promo break and we'll catch you guys back here have fun Hey there,
0: new friends. This is Ellen Weatherford. Do you like animals? Do you enjoy arbitrarily rating things out of 10? Can you tolerate puns? If so, join me and my husband, Christian, over at Just the Zoo of Us for a weekly review of your favorite animal species. Just the Zoo of Us is available on Spotify, iTunes, and other podcast apps. You can find us at anchor.fm/slash Zoo of Us. See you soon. Hello, friends. We are the Ladies of Strange. I'm Ashley. I'm Tiffany. And I'm Rebecca. Have you ever wondered if Jenny's head really did fall off when they removed the green ribbon? Or if aliens are hiding in the tails of
1: comets waiting to take us away? Or if there's any scientific basis to the Ouija board? Well, then don't risk your search history and join us each Thursday as we discuss the history, mystery, and theory of all things questionable, odd, and eerie. New episodes are released every Thursday. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. More information about the show, including show notes and links to our social media, can be found on our website, theladiesestrange.com. Keep it strange, lovelies.
0: So like we've mentioned earlier in this episode, we we're talking about the BTK. It stands for bind, Torture, Kill. The murderer asshole's name was Dennis Lynn Raider. I mean, I'd be mad, too, if my mom gave me a girl middle name. (laughs) (laughs) He was born March 9th, 1945, in Pittsburgh, Kansas, but grew up in the Wichita area. He had three brothers, Paul, Bill, and Jeff. So they had, like, good, strong Midwest American names. And he was a sexual sadist. For those of you who don't know what that is, it means that he derives extreme sexual pleasure from hurting others. Mm -hmm. Not a good person. Yeah. He had another sexual fetish, which is that he liked women's underpants and that he would take them, keep them like from his victims, and then wear them. We'll talk about that a little later. Mm -hmm. He was in the Air Force from 1966 to 1970. He moved to Park City and worked in the meat department of a grocery store where his mother was a bookkeeper. That year, he met his future wife, Paula Diaz. They married on May 22nd, 1971, and had two children, a boy and a girl.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Mm -hmm. He earned two degrees. One, he earned an associate's in electronics, which I think it was more like the wiring aspects, so like electrical engineering. Mm -hmm. And then he earned a bachelor's in administrative of justice. Of course he did. Yeah, because, you know, he had to know how the cops worked. Mm -hmm. He had a lot of different jobs. He worked as an assembler for the Coleman Company, I think, like the Coleman Lantern type people. And this is kind of like where if you've started to watch Mindhunters, and mind you, I haven't seen the second season because I was waiting for Tara, but I'm getting impatient, so I I'm just move on without Tara. My bad. <laughs> it's okay. In her defense, she has to wait for her husband, so it's like she can't really just binge watch mm-hmm. for my sake. So I understand. <laughs> so if you watch that, you kind of see he works for ADT. Mm-hmm. He essentially would install systems so he was entering people's homes so he would install security systems and alarms and a lot of the people's homes he entered ended up being his victims yep he became a census worker later in life he worked for kind of the park system he did a lot of things he was a scout leader and he was elected president of his church Mm -hmm. which i want to say like that kind of was one of the reasons he got caught. So we'll we'll get into that later. But yeah, it didn't bode well for him. We'll get into that. So over the course of his killing career, he killed 10 people. And by the time his daughter was born or around the time she was born, he had already killed like six people. Mm-hmm. So on January 15th of 1974, BTK, I'm going to start just calling him BTK because it'll be easier than calling him Dennis. Okay. So on January 15th of 1974, BTK entered the home of Joseph and Julie Ortero. Four of the members were home and several of the older children were, had already gone off to school. And this was in Wichita, Kansas. Unfortunately, anyone who was home didn't survive this attack. There were four victims, Joseph Ortero Sr., who was 38, Julie Ortero, 33, Joseph Ortero Jr., who was 9, and Josephine Ortero, who was 11. These are his only two children victims, but still, it's it's pretty fucked up. The victims were discovered by their oldest child, Charlie, who is in 10th grade. He'd come home from school and found his family. He found his mom and dad deceased in their room. And at first, because he had a couple other siblings, he thought they were playing. Like, he thought it was a joke. And then they realized that it wasn't. Oh. They later found Josephine hanging from a pipe in the basement. BTK had broken into their house between 7 and 730 in the morning with his hit kit, which had guns, cords, knives, multiple tools for breaking and entering. He said that in his confession tapes, he said that he came in through the back door, which he was unlocked because the father had just let the dog out and then back in, but hadn't locked the door back. He had cut the phone lines before entering so that no one could call out. BTK was surprised to find Joseph home. He thought he'd already left for work. He had expected to just find Julie and the two small children. He took a gun and threatened to rob them. He said that he needed money and food and a car. And the family, like he said in his in his testimony... That they were like, we don't have a lot of money, we'll give you whatever you need, that kind of stuff. He forced the family into a bedroom where he tied their hands and feet. He then began to strangle Mrs. Ortero until she passed out. This was obviously his first murder, so he didn't really know how this all worked. But she hadn't died. She had just passed out. He put a plastic bag over Mr. Ortero's head and tied a cord around it. He did the same thing to Joseph. And then he started to choke or he had strangled Josephine, but... She um, hadn't passed out either. About that time, Mr. Otero ripped a hole in his bag. And so he had to take care of him again. And in his testimony, he uses the words, put them down. which is like...
1: Like an animal.
0: Yeah, it's so depraved. Mm-hmm. So this is about this time Mrs. Otero is coming to. So he strangles her. But before that, she says to him... Like, please save my son. And so he kind of does for a second, like in his testimony, he says that he took the cord off around the neck and the bag off, but then realized what he was doing and had to like strangle the boy. And then this is when he takes Josephine down to the basement where he strings her up. And this is if not what he was doing was sick enough. Essentially, this is where his sexual sadism comes in and he begins to masturbate while watching her die. Yeah, he intentionally leaves his semen behind. Then he goes up to the house and tidies up and then takes Mr. Otero's watch and then a radio, which he later says he didn't remember taking, but he did. And then later, Charlie 15 came home with his two siblings, Danny and Carmen, and that's when they found their parents. And of course, you know, that changed their lives. Mm-hmm. And the police department at Wichita became like, really, like, oh my God, they didn't think anything like this would ever happen there. They were hoping it was this isolated event. And a few months later, three men essentially confessed to this crime. And it goes on the news, like, because that's what happened. <laughs> <laughs> and BCK is like, uh-uh, no, 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 fuck them. I did this. Mm-hmm. So he sends a letter to the local police or the local TV station, K-A-K-E, and this is where he first time he ever signs it, BTK. And in that letter, he basically gives details that only the killer could know. Later in October, he called the Wichita Eagle, which I believe was a newspaper, Mm -hmm. and told them, you will find a letter from a killer In this specific section of the library and come to find out it was an electrical engineering book, which if you remember, he has his AA in electrical engineering. So for me, I was kind of like, oh my God, like he just threw a huge hint at them. Mm -hmm. But he kind of does this. He tries to like play with the police and it doesn't really work. Right. So that happened in January of 1974 and the next... Murder committed by BTK was in April, which was April 4th, 1974. The victim's name was Catherine Bright. He had seen her prior entering her house with another man. And this was during his, like, trolling stages. (laughs) Trolling.
1: (laughs) Fucking hate it.
0: (laughs) Essentially, his MO was that he would, like, drive around and look for potential victims during, like, a certain part. And it was like he was essentially, he would pick a victim... And then figure out if it would work or not. Yeah. And so this is the scary thing is that he he says in his confessions, like, and if it didn't work, I moved on. So who knows how many other targets he had had.
1: So fucking many, I'm sure. Jesus.
0: Right? He came into her house by the way of the porch door and hid in her bedroom closet. Around 2 p.m., Catherine and her brother Kevin came home and BTK surprised them at gunpoint. He told them that he was traveling from California to New York and that he was wanted in California and he was a criminal and basically he wanted their cars, their food, and their cash and then he'd go. He forced them into the bedroom and had Kevin tie his sister's hands and feet. Then he took Kevin into another room where he tried to tie him up, but unfortunately for the BTK, Kevin fought back. Also unfortunate for Kevin because it ended up with the BTK killer shooting him in the head twice. Mm. I don't know. Then he goes back into the other bedroom where Catherine is and tries to strangle her, but she was a tough bitch. I applaud her for this and she fought back really, really hard. And I think that if The BTK had been an easily shaken man. Mm -hmm. She probably would have gotten away, but he just went to his hit kit and pulled out a knife and he ended up stabbing her several times. Kevin managed to get away. And in the process, BTK had to flee. Kevin went and got help. But unfortunately, his sister died later at the hospital after several failed surgeries and blood transfusions. Unfortunately for the police, Kevin was, because he'd been shot in the head twice, his testimony was not helpful in identifying because he was kind of all over the place. Hmm. I mean, it's totally understandable. Mm-hmm. And this is where he kind of gets a little weird. Hmm. <laughs> not a little weird, but like, so the next time the BTK killer strikes or BTK strikes, it is March 17th, 1977. So there's a three year gap in between killings. He states that it's either that there were, just wasn't anyone who like intrigued him or things weren't working out or.
1: Life happens, right. I mean, he obviously was very methodical. Mm-hmm. He chose people specific for very specific reasons most of the time,
0: right. So like think about it if you compare like b t k and Bundy, right? Mm-hmm. Like Bundy just took like he had a type and then opportunity like that's all it took for b t k it was like he says it could be months or even years of planning
1: mm-hmm. yeah,
0: his next victim was Shirley Vian. I think that's how it's pronounced. On March 17th, actually, Shirley was not his originally intended victim. He had been stalking a woman named Cheryl who lived down the street or like a street over in the same neighborhood. But her and her roommate were not home that night. So BTK went and knocked on her door and she didn't answer. He looked inside. She wasn't there. So he left. So BTK starts wandering around the neighborhood and he comes up on this little boy named Stephen Realford. And he's walking down Hydraulic Street. And so he comes up on Stephen Realford and shows him a picture and asks him, does he know where they are? And the picture is of Dennis Rader's wife and son. And the little boy is like, he's five. So he's like, nope, don't know who that is because he's five. Like, you know, she probably looks like just like every other adult. Dennis then walks down the street and then he knocks on another door that I think he knew where someone else lived by themselves. And they didn't answer so he walked back to the residence, the little boy Steve entered and knocked on the door and told him that he was a detective and then he needed to let him in. And of course, Steve being a good law-abiding little boy lets the detective in. Shirley comes out of a bedroom. She had been sick or supposedly sick and um, is startled. Dennis then pulls a gun out and basically forces the kids into a bedroom, then calms Shirley down. They have a glass of water. They smoke a couple cigarettes together. He basically tells her, look, I'm not going to rape you. This is just my thing. I, you know, I just need to tie you up. Okay. And I think, like, I think she probably in her mind was like, I would rather be tied up and found later. So he takes her into the bedroom, but the kids are like screaming. So this is what's the weird thing. It's like he takes his time and places like blankets and pillows and everything in the bathroom for the kids and then puts the kids in the bathroom, then takes Shirley into the bedroom and then ties her up and then immediately strangles her. He ends up masturbating into her panties and then leaves them, which they're found. Essentially, what ended up happening is because he hadn't been able to stock this house ahead of time. The phone rang and that startled him because in his mind, like someone overheard and it's calling to check up. So he he bolted.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, it wasn't his like typical protocol.
0: Right. Because he would always cut the phone lines because then you can't call out. So his next victim, which happened in December of 1977, in his words, is the most satisfying of all his victims. Let that sink in for you. According to BTK, he became obsessed with stalking 25 year old Nancy Fox. And on December 8th, he cut her phone line and broke into her house through the back door. He waited in her home for her to get back from her job at the jewelry store. Since she lived alone, there was no problem for him to come in and surprise her. So he was just chilling in the kitchen and caught her at gunpoint when she walked in. He then tells her. That he has sexual issues and that in order to get rid of those issues, he needs to tie her up and rape her. So scary. I mean, I don't he could never get away with it today because people have cell phones. But right. Well, he could have a jammer. Yeah. So basically, he started to undress her and then he took her into the bedroom where he tied her up and then undressed himself. And then he started to strangle her. And this is where he gets like the most joy out of this. So as he's strangling her, and this is something he confesses later, he actually tells her who he is. But that's because she's not gonna like at that. For me, that would be the most terrifying moment. This isn't just rough sex, right? This is this isn't him just strangling you. And for that, it's like th- there's no going back at that moment. Her body was found later. Again, his semen was found in a nightgown next to her. The following day, on his way to work he called into the local police department and said, you will find a homicide at 843 South Pershing's Nancy Fox. That is correct. And then hung up. So BTK escalates. Like his whole MO at the beginning with the letters and everything like that and talking to the, you know, talking to the newspaper, talking to the media is that he wants attention for this. Here's a man who realizes that he's literally gotten away with his like all time you know he was obsessed with this person he had stalked her for so long he finally did this act i think he kind of realized like i don't know if anyone's gonna find her and i want to live and the- i want to be able to start relishing that i did this so the police obviously go to her house because it's like how could you really ignore that tip right yeah they go to her house they find her having been strangled this is where, like, forensic detective work starts coming in. So they try to, like, replay the tape so many times to see if they can find a match, and they just never did. <laughs> Another thing that BTK would do in the interim is he would write poetry. So he wrote a poem called Shirley's Locks.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And then he also wrote a poem entitled Oh, Death to Nancy, which was the mimicking the song Oh, Death. <sighs>
1: mm-hmm.
0: And these poems, he, like, would basically explain why he did what he did.
1: hmm
0: Okay, this next murder is,
1: just makes me sad.
0: We've gone from 77 to 85. Right. What is that?
1: 77 to 85. That's eight years.
0: Yeah. So, and I believe um, his daughter Carrie was six at the time. Yes. When you really think about that. Like, he st- he was stopping because he was raising his children. It's just it's so sick. Right. In 1985, he claimed his next victim, and her name was Marine Hedge. And the fucked up part about this is she was, like, he, she lives six doors down from him.
1: Yeah, this is the old lady, right?
0: Yeah, she's, like, yeah. if you saw her, you would have been, like, oh, my God, that's like my that's, like, a grandma. That's someone you want to, like, be around. She was so pretty and cute. Anyway, so what happened is that Dennis BTK, he was involved with this church and then also he was involved in Boy Scouts and his son was in Boy Scouts, his son Brian. So in 1985, he went on this outing and essentially what happened is that he left this. It was like a camp out that he was with his son. He left the camp out, drove back to his neighborhood Broke into her house. She was a widow and she was described as a kind and sweet, gentle woman. Mm -hmm. He knew that she lived alone and they had literally lived on the same block for 30 years. So they had seen each other. I'm sure she was aware of his children, his wife, all of that. So on April 27th, 1985, he broke into her house. He's left because he stated he had a headache and he needed to go get medicine and that he would be back. It said that he went in and he went to a bar, got a drink, and then he spilled some beer on his clothes. Then he called a cab pretending to be drunk and told the driver to take him to Park City. Once he got there, he broke into her house and then he cut the phone lines and then got inside and strangled her really quickly because she got scared and I think started to yell. So this was one of the first times that he hadn't tied his victim up or anything like that. But what he did is he put her in the trunk of her car, drove to the church that he regularly went to, the one that he would later become the president of, mm-hmm. took her inside because he had keys to the church. Then he drug her body into the basement and then he, this is where he photographed her in multiple positions all being bound And, like, the bondage stuff. And then he stripped her naked and dumped her off the side of the road.
1: Jesus. And it
0: wasn't very far from their house. And the reason he did this is he didn't want it to be something that, you know, he could be penned for. This is also the only murder that BTK did not take credit for until he was caught. And it had everything to do with the fact that if he had said, I killed her, it could have come back to being in her neighborhood that he was. Right. Right. So one of the theories is there's a reason that there's more time between each kills is that he was a father and it would have been very suspicious if he had just up and left all the time to, you know, go kill people. Because like if you notice like 74, he kills two and then in 77, he kills again. And then it's like,
1: yeah, like they're spaced. It spaces
0: mm-hmm. out. Yeah. So September 16th. ooh, Oh, so next week is literally, oh, God, it's a 34th year. Mhm. Wait, no, how old am I?
1: I don't know. How old are you?
0: 33. It's
1: a 33. 33. Okay.
0: <laughs> God, I forget sometimes, guys. I'm sorry.
1: I forget. How old I am, so that's why.
0: <laughs> I had to rem- like I know I'm 2 years older than Thomas, and so I just have to be like how old is Thomas, which doesn't make sense because I should be able to be like how old is my husband cuz he's 2 years younger than me. So subtract my age, but whatever. It's all good. So about 10 a.m. on September 16th, BTK dressed up as a telephone repairman and knocked on Vicky Waygirl's door. She let him in, thinking that he was there to fix her phone line, because why wouldn't you trust someone? I mean, especially because at this point in time, like, the murders had slowed down. Mm -hmm. You don't think to yourself, like, oh, I'm going to be murdered. Right. So he then cut the phone line, because he was working on it, and told her that he was going to tie her up. At gunpoint, He again, his MO, he forced him into the bedroom, he tied him up, she fought back, and this time it caused, like, scratches. On BTK, he got ropes out and stopped her from fighting back by essentially by choking her to death. He took pictures of her body in different positions and then stole her car. Soon after, her husband Bill came home and saw his own car was going the opposite direction, but couldn't identify the driver. Of course. That's got to be the hardest thing is to be like, that's my car. Okay. Hmm. Yeah. Um, When he arrived home, he saw... His two-year-old son was by himself in the living room, and when he searched the house, he found his wife. I guess she was still kind of alive? I don't know. Oh. They pronounced her dead after several hours, so he must have gotten home and maybe revived her. hmm She just didn't make it. Yeah. Yeah. After this, BTK disposed of the evidence especially her car it was just a few blocks away from the home and then he went home and changed his clothes so he was like cool i got away with another murder (sighs) and this time it was in like i mean granted the otero one happened in broad daylight Mm -hmm. so it's i think that's what's scarier too is it's not just like okay at night lock your doors
1: it's middle of the fucking day
0: yeah at least with like golden state it was nighttime so you could like anticipate it yeah Fucking Raider was all over
1: the place. Mm -hmm. And then
0: you're going to see another five years or just about five years before he claimed his 10th and final victim. Her name was Doris Davies.
1: She was an older woman. Mm -hmm. I'm going to interrupt you for a second. With the old lady thing, I read something that I don't know if he said it or if it maybe was just a theory. It was like since he was starting to get older himself, the older victims were easier for Mm -hmm. him to handle. Right. Right. You know what I mean? So Mm. that kind of makes
0: sense. Right. So again, she was older and she actually lived kind of, kind of? What the fuck is, somebody drank kind of.
1: It's like you're trying to have like an accent.
0: (laughs) Oh, I kind of like that. (laughs) (laughs) I'll stop. Um, So Davies only lived about a mile and a half away from where he did. And this is how he noticed her. So he basically thought it out really well. He was going to go camping with Boy Scouts over the weekend. So on January 19th, 1991, he came up with an excuse to once again slip away from a Scouts meeting and he drove his car to his parents' house to change out of his Scouts uniform and get his hit clothes. Then he drove to the Baptist church, parked his car, and then essentially went out on foot. When he got to the house, he noticed that she was asleep. So he broke the glass door in the back with a cement brick that he had found. She came out of the bedroom and basically found that there was this dude in her house. He used the same line that he did with almost everyone that he needed money, car, food, that he was going to tie her up. He tied her up in the bedroom and strangled her once again. Like that's what he does. And then took the body outside, put it in her own trunk, and then drove her to the lake near Park City and hid the body and the evidence under the tree. Then he drove her car back to the Davis's house, wiped down for fingerprints, and then went back to the church. And then he went back where he hid the body and put it in his trunk and then dumped it off a bridge in Sigwidge County. Then he went back to his parents' house, put his scout's uniform back on, and then drove back to camp. And then the following evening, he went back where he left the body and took photographs. So here's the thing with BTK slash Dennis Rader slash one of the worst people on the planet. When he wasn't able to murder people, because really what it was is he's saying it every time that like this is a sexual issue and that I need to do this. And he just lived in the Bible belt and didn't realize that there were people out there who probably just did, you know, bondage without killing people, but I think he liked the killing people part. Mm-hmm. And one of the things he would do in the interim when he couldn't kill is he would basically tie himself up and then take photos, which is so weird. Yeah. Because, like, I saw pictures and I'm like, how, wait, one, how the fuck did you do that without an accomplice? I'm very, like, you are talented, sir, in a sick and fucking twisted way. Um, Because, like, one, he was, like, hanging up upside down in a tree. What the fuck? Like tied. I'm like, how did you get up there? Who helped you? I need to know. I mean, he's a he's a weird bird, so now I'm gonna turn it over to Tara and she's gonna talk to you about essentially his downfall. Yes, yes.
1: Okay. So, like just said, Dennis went through his first murder back in nineteen seventy four. Now this man this person, whatever you want to fucking call it, this monster, essentially, uh-huh. would go 30 years as a mystery, basically, until his ego ruined that for himself. Yes. No other way to put that. So in 2004, the Wichita Eagle put out an article, since this would be the 30th anniversary, like I just said, since the Otero murders. This would revisit everything Jessica had just discussed, and then it had some other stuff included. Basically, it talked about the book that came out called "Nightmare in Wichita" by Robert Beatty. The reporter who wrote this article spoke with him, and of course, the lieutenant who was in charge of the task force for the BTK, who was Ken Lundwer. He was also, you know. In general, just kind of overseeing the homicide investigations for Wichita Police Department anyway. But he ended up taking over the whole BTK thing. Mm -hmm. So at this point, BTK was still a mystery. A direct quote from the lieutenant on what he thought happened to him since it had been so long since his last kill, which was in 91 was there are three things that could have happened, he Mm -hmm. said. He could have moved to a different area, he could be incarcerated for something totally unrelated to BTK, or he could be dead. So right there, it mixed a few things in regards to Dennis that made him decide to pop back out. Like I said, his ego, huge, huge factor.
0: Oh my God, yes.
1: Another thing was the book, which he had said that the author got things wrong. So, you know, have to clear the air there. I mean, do you really have to clear the air? I mean, you know, Dennis has to fact-checked cuz it's Dennis and right. then also the facts that he wasn't dead, wasn't in jail, and he hadn't moved. He basically wanted these things to be known. Yeah, he
0: wanted people to know like, look, I've just been living here since 91 and not doing shit.
1: Mm -hmm. He wanted it for the notoriety, essentially. Oh, hell yeah. He wanted people to know that BTK was alive and well. (laughs) So he decided to mail the Wichita Eagle a package that same month. And there will be multiple packages that I will tell you guys all about here. Mm -hmm. This contents of this first one included pictures of Vicky and a copy of her missing driver's license. It had come from a bill... Thomas Kilman. And if you didn't catch that, that's BTK. So he thinks he's so fucking smart.
0: Oh, I know. He thinks he's the cleverest motherfucker on the block.
1: Mm -hmm. And there was also a signature of BTK, which he included in multiple things. And, of course, gross, the b Looked like boobs. <laughs> there's, there's no eloquent way to say that. No, he was being crass Yes. After receiving this, though, that kind of set a fire under this team's ass to be like, okay, this motherfucker's still here. This motherfucker's still alive. Let's fucking do it. They already had his DNA, as Jessica had talked about. Mm-hmm. But all they had known at the time was that he was a white male. And around the time of his crimes, he was maybe 18 to 20, like his early crimes in the 70s. So... They had actually taken, which is this was a huge controversy, they took DNA from about 1,600 people. They were like local men who had moved away and other, you know, however they picked their people kind of thing. But of course, none of these people were Dennis. Right? So (laughs) the letter was also sent off to the FBI so they could have assistance with them as well. So smart guys for actually going for help when they knew they needed it. Oh, yeah. So the next package or letter would be received on May 5th, and this time it was over to K-A-K-E Channel 10. This basically would be a word puzzle that they later figured out was computer generated. I think it was just because of Everyone was just like so eager to figure out who the fuck BTK was. It kind of put them in a frenzy. It did. So they were pulling all kinds of weird shit out of this that wasn't even in the puzzle. Yeah. They were seeing stuff they wanted to, which I can understand. I could totally get that. You know what I mean? It seems like sometimes there was some kind of backlash. Like, why were they making up all this stupid shit or saying they're seeing this stuff? But it's like they were literally trying to grasp at straws at this point. Right. Totally. They were trying to find something. So like they were just trying to get what they could. Then on June 9th, the police would find a package taped to a stop sign at First in Kansas. And this would include a very graphic description of the Otero murders and also a sketch of a dead body hung with a rope with the words, The sexual thrill is my bill. (sighs) And I don't really want to talk about that one anymore. Uh Mm-mm. There'd also be another package in June on the 17th, this time at the uh, downtown Wichita library. And this was actually found in the like the book return deposit box. And when it was found, of course, you know, they called 911 to be like, hey, look, you know, BTK shit, come fucking get it. Mm -hmm. This letter would have info in regards to the death of Jake Allen. He had tried to say that he was responsible for murdering him, that he lured him and then killed him and all of that. But later, this would turn out to be false and that he had nothing to do with it, that it was actually deemed a suicide. And he also had said in this package that his time was running out and that he was planning his next hit, which is what he called his victims. That he was still going to do it. He was just going to have to hurry up because he was getting old. Yeah. That kind of thing. So the next package was discovered on October 22nd in a UPS box at Second and Kansas. Now, it's kind of a common thing that you'll notice. He kind of stuck to the same area with a lot of his stuff. He even parked in the same area. Like his car, when he would leave his car, he parked in the same parking lot all the time. So yeah, he was a creature of habit, which will come into play later. Oh, yeah. This package would contain photos of children with bindings drawn on them, and it also had an autobiography, loose term there for you, that he filled with a bunch of bullshit info. Not surprised, but it's, again, him trying to be clever Dennis and basically just do this whole cat and mouse game. Because if you can't tell, he fucking thinks he's the smartest thing ever, and he's loving the attention and all of that.
0: Oh, yeah. I think they referred to him as thinking it was like the fox and the hound like
1: Yeah 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 the, uh, the lieutenant says that later in an interview that like that was his attitude. But some of like some of the wrong information he gave was like the wrong birth year and then he knew they were investigating something thinking the number 3 had a significance whether they it was like his address or something like that. So he fucked with them and put it in there even though that had nothing to do with anything. Just a toy with them. <laughs>
0: I don't mean to laugh, but it's kind of like one of those things where it's like, especially because a lot of times media doesn't help because they put things out like if you see this, like this number and then they're like the killer or whoever is like, well, I can now use that to my advantage to fuck with you.
1: Exactly. So then on December 14th, a man who was just like out on a walk in Murdoch Park would find another BTK package. This time it had Nancy Fox's driver's license and a doll that was bound. And creepy, creepy, creepy. Ew. Mm-hmm. So here, between this and the next one, Dennis took a little break. This is around the time he became the president of the church council, which was the Christ Lutheran Church. And I'm assuming, because he's kind of got this like double life thing going on, if you haven't figured that out. So I'm going to guess like maybe he took a little break to spend the holidays with his family. Mm-hmm. He can't really dip out on Christmas. So then on January 8th, he left another package in the bed of a pickup truck. This is a huge one to note outside of a Home Depot located on North Woodlawn. This would be where Dennis fucked up and he did not plan for what happened next.
0: No, he did not.
1: (laughs) There was security cameras in this parking lot. A little bit of time passed before the package had been discovered. Basically, the package to use was a special case cereal box. If you've seen the picture, like you could get why it's not very noticeable. Mm -hmm. So it had the words BTK and bomb written on it, but they weren't very big and then like kind of where they were written, like in the logo and on the picture. If you're just glancing and you're just like, oh, some asshole threw some trash in my truck, I can understand missing it. Because if I remember right, in one of the videos I watched, I think his girlfriend actually, the guy's girlfriend like threw it away or something like that because I thought it was trash. But somehow they figured out that, oh shit, Wait a minute, you know what I mean? Like, this is actually something. So they called the cops, Mm -hmm. and they were able to pick it up before it got to, like, the dump, essentially. They were able to recover it, which was a good thing. Yeah. So in this one, there had been more info about his projects, which were, you know, victims inside and then asking if he could communicate with them via floppy disk. Now, I have to pause an asterisk here for those If anybody here. And I mean, there probably is. <laughs> if you don't know what a floppy <laughs> disk is, it is the save icon when you're on a computer. It is the square plastic thing that was basically the old version of a CD. Right. The only other thing I can do is like a like an SD card, but a lot oh, yeah. bigger.
0: And flat. And you would <laughs> insert it into your computer.
1: Yes. So... He asked if he could talk with them via floppy disk and if they'd be able to trace it back to him. And in typical Dennis fashion, he gave them specific instructions on how to reply. Couldn't just be like, just let me know however you can, homie. It was like, <laughs> no, you're gonna you're going to put a thing in the like the classifieds, right? That's what it's called. Mm-hmm. And it's going to say, Rex, it'll be okay or no or whatever. And of course, they could fucking trace it spoiler alert but they said you know it's fine so they did it they put it in the paper and they said rex it'll be okay this stuff will be in our sources pages there's a couple videos that were really good they were all fucking shocked that he fell for this because we obviously know this dude's in jail
0: i remember someone was saying it was like i thought it was like a chance in hell that he'd actually do this i thought he was just fucking with us but we had to do it in like the you know just in case
1: yes mm-hmm So while they were waiting for Dennis's next move, they still didn't know it was Dennis at this point, they requested the security footage from the Home Depot from the last 90 days so they could see if they could see who it was, could see what kind of vehicle, anything like that. Now, Mm -hmm. the bad news is you can't tell by his person, but you can tell what kind of vehicle he's driving. So this is a really good thing. Mm -hmm. He was driving a black Jeep Cherokee. This was something to finally go off of for them. So at least they got something. So they were all super fucking excited. And for them, this
0: was good because this was like the one piece of evidence that they had that he didn't know they
1: had. Exactly. Yeah. Like he had no clue about it. He didn't know. Because obviously, if he had thought about the security cameras, he wouldn't have even went there. Right. And I believe in like that whole area, there wasn't even like that many black jeep cherokees like 15 or 1600 which i know may sound like a lot to some people but like in a big area and in a college town and stuff like that like that's not that many no you know it was exciting for them cuz they went from it could be like literally anybody in the fucking country to under 2000 people
0: right and the really great thing about that was is that If they found a suspect, that was their smoking gun. It'd be like. Exactly. I mean, granted, it was completely circumstantial, but. But it was a gateway. So, yeah.
1: On January 25th, instructions on where to find the next box was sent over to K.A.K.E. And in the next package, which was another cereal box. I don't know if he just thought he was clever and being like, I'm a serial killer. Here's some cereal boxes or what the fuck the deal with what that was. But, you know, whatever. I want to be like, or maybe he didn't even think about it. He just used whatever, but I'm going to go with no, because he literally thought everything through. So I like my theory. If nobody agrees with me, I don't care. (laughs) (laughs) This next cereal box was found on North Seneca near 69th Street. And this was very disturbing as well. It was a bound doll with a piece of plastic pipe. This was meant to represent Josephine Otero. And then um, shortly after that, on February 3rd, a card was sent over to K-A-K-E stating that the BTK was going to make a drop for the floppy disk soon. So we're getting closer, guys. So the floppy disk would be received on February 16th by KSAS Fox TV. He always picked media sources, of course. So along with it was a locket and a letter that identified the disc as a, quote, test floppy for WPD review. And it had one document on it that just said, this is a test. And he fucked up again. So quickly, very quickly, they just had to hop over to like the property section or somewhere little boop, boop, boop on the computer.
0: We're not even talking like high tech shit.
1: No, it was just like settings. Where did this come from? The end. Like they could see that the disc had been used at the Christ Lutheran Church and also the Park City Library. And also, who it had it been saved by? And it had been saved by somebody named Dennis. Dumbass Dennis. And then, yay technology, because now we're in the early 2000s, it just took a quick Google search to see that the president of the church was Dennis Rader. Once stuff started happening, it just started happening, which is amazing. And once they knew his home address and stuff, they're just like, We're not gonna do anything, we're not gonna freak him out, nothing like that. We're just gonna do a quick drive-by. Because, you know, what's the off chance of like he doesn't have the Cherokee or somebody logged in under his name? You know, because that could happen. Right. Totally. So they drove by and what's in the driveway? A black Jeep Cherokee. This was registered to his son, but it was his son, so obviously he wasn't born when these murders started. And he was away in the military at the time, so he wasn't even fucking there. Right, which is why he had the cheap Cherokee. Exactly. Cops wanted to play it carefully because, like Jessica kind of hinted at, everything was circumstantial at this point. So what, what they did was they ended up getting a subpoena to obtain a DNA sample from his daughter, Carrie. Basically, they went to the student clinic where she had gotten a pap smear done at the OB. And they got her DNA sample that way. Which is so, like, embarrassing. (laughs) Right. (laughs) But hey, they do what they fucking gotta do, you know? It's true. And then once those results came back, it did confirm that the BTK was her father. So once they had this, they knew they had their fucking guy. They did know they still had to plan like super, super carefully with him because if he caught on at all, he would absolutely be a flight risk. Absolutely. He wanted the attention. He wanted the notoriety. He wanted BTK to have the notoriety, but he didn't want to go to jail. He didn't want to go through no consequences. Truth. He just wanted to like know that people knew what he did. Oh,
0: 100%.
1: So luckily, Dennis was a very predictable man, very creature of habit. They had kept him on surveillance, kind of watch him and kind of see what he did through his day to day. So one day when he was on his lunch break, they went full fucking force. They took 215 officers on deck for this shit. Oh, my God. Yes. Crazy. But I mean, rightfully so. Part of it was because they were expecting to have to search for him. Like it wasn't just like everyone attacked Dennis kind of thing. They were like, he's
0: going to run. But I think part of it was like because, you know, even I mean, Over 200 people is ridiculous. I think it was like people were like, I want to be on the BTK case. Like, pick me. Probably. Pick
1: me. And how do you say no to that? Like, That's true. (laughs) Yeah, I just know they pulled people from like all kinds of different departments and all kinds of different things, you know.
0: I think that was it. It was like Mm -hmm. because it was Wichita and the... Like
1: the FBI and... FBI
0: and then there was like a state agency there. So I think they probably all sent like people. Yeah.
1: Full (laughs) crews. Well, right. And then, you know, on like top of that, obviously, he's a very dangerous person. He knows how to use firearms. Like he's killed Mm -hmm. multiple people. I read somewhere or it was on a video that they had a tank. I didn't come across that. (laughs) That's fucking crazy.
0: And that might have just been someone like being like <laughs> ridiculous. If someone
1: wants to fact check and let us know if that's true.
0: I'll try. But between this goes up. I don't know. That's kind of nuts. I don't I know. I just remember someone was like, and we had a tank. And I was like, why the fuck?
1: Who the fuck were you thinking you were catching? Like. Right? No. An army? Yeah. I don't know about that one. But, you know. But yes, <laughs> tank aside, mm-hmm. there was no room for error with this dude if they wanted to get him. No room for error. They had to be. hmm on it, creepy, and this ugh, this like gave me chills. When he was arrested, he was asked, "Do you know why you're going downtown?" And his response was, "Oh, I have my suspicions. Why?" Okay, Dennis. Okay. Did you
0: hear the reaction to the cop when he asked, "Can you please tell my wife I won't make it home for lunch? I suspect you know where I live."
1: Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. I forgot to write that part down, but yeah, I watched that video too. That'll be in the sources page too, guys.
0: And the cop was just like, okay, you're creepy.
1: Mm-hmm. So Lieutenant Launder, or Lawnwear, Lundwear, good God, drink, 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 Jesus, mm-hmm. loaded up with him, and they kind of just started to chat shortly after that. Basically, if you watched Mindhunter, this has nothing to do with him. When they'd act kind of friendly at first towards the serial killers and stuff, that's kind of what his position was, to build rapport with Dennis. Mm-hmm. So- Fucking, oh my God. So the interrogation would last a total of 32 hours. Lieutenant Lundwear and Bob Morton from the FBI, who was a behavioral analyst, would be the ones to conduct the interview. They tried to treat him well. They tried to encourage him to like sleep and things like that. And Dennis was just refused to. Like he would maybe take like a short nap or something, but it's like he didn't want to sleep, sleep. Mm-hmm. So the first couple hours, Dennis was just like stonewall, denied, denied, deny. I didn't do this. I don't know what you're talking about. Blah, 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 blah. Then about three, three and a quarter hours into this, he finally admits that he's BTK. In the footage, basically, they're like, I know the BTK is the father of your children. There's no doubt about it. We had tests done to confirm it. Then he's just like kind of like quiet, like sitting there quietly, like kind of nodding, kind of just sitting there, whatever. And they're just like, you know. Just say it, whatever, like whatever. And then he just he says it. He says he's the BTK. And then after that, it's just kind of like word vomit and fucking Mm -hmm. blah, 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 blah. Here, let me tell you all the fucking things. And you can't get Dennis to shut the fuck up. No, you could not. So on March 1st, his bail was set to $10 million and he was appointed a public defender. Then on May 3rd, the judge entered the non-guilty pleas on Dennis's behalf because, funny enough, he didn't speak at his arraignment, Hmm. which is interesting. Yeah, this is the only time he didn't talk. He also underwent a psyche eval conducted by Robert Mendoza, so this would lead to him being diagnosed with narcissistic, antisocial, and psychopathic personality disorders. And he was also diagnosed with impulsive behavior and bipolar disorder. Mendoza noted that Dennis had a grandiose sense of self, a belief that he is, quote, special and therefore entitled to special treatment. He has a pathological need for attention and admiration and a preoccupation with maintaining rigid order and structure and a complete lack of empathy for his victims, as the rest of the world would soon see for themselves. Oh,
0: That is the truest statement ever.
1: Mm -hmm. Then we are on June 27th, 2005. This is when court began. And Dennis would start singing a much different tune than he did during his arraignment. Uh He changed his pleas to guilty. And he was totally fine talking about it. And talking did he do. Oh, God, did he ever. The full confession video is on YouTube and it'll be on our sources page as well. It's about almost 50 minutes long, the bit that they have. Let's talk about this for a minute. Okay. This shit is fucking insane. It is.
0: It's like, oh my God.
1: I had never watched it before. I had seen like bits and pieces or pictures, like stills. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, with him like looking up because he's like remembering and shit. Like I'd seen that shit before, but I had never just sat and watched this ever and just the way he talks about these murders is just fucking crazy first of all he's talking just like i'm gonna tell you about my trip to target right he's just he's so casual and there's no fucking remorse and he's just so matter of fact and then he says something what was that one that one that was like was it vicky the one that was the mom the Mm two-year-old yeah with vicky he was like Apologetic that he lied to her, not apologetic that he killed her.
0: Right. Like his daughter said that she doesn't ever think he's sorry that he did these things. He's sorry he got caught for these things.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's just, it's fucking horrific. And he just goes on and on and on. And it's just like the families of these victims were there and they just had to fucking leave the courtroom. They could not stay. They had to fucking leave because he just wanted to drone on and on and on. And it was just like, there was barely any prodding from the judge. Like, the ju- like if there was something the judge needed clarification on, you know, because it was like when he was saying trolling, he kind of sounded like he was saying patrolling. So, like, the judge would ask me, like, which word are you saying or whatever? And then Dennis would just, without missing a beat, just keep going and going and going.
0: Well, I think the other thing that Dennis did really horribly but, like, good is that he would try to distract the judge at some points where he would be telling the right. story. The judge would have to be like, no, 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 you need to talk. You need to answer this question. And so he would go off on tangents about what he was doing, but not necessarily a direct
1: answer. Like, they put them down. He would be like, you mean kill them.
0: Right. The specific thing I'm thinking about is, like, with the Ortero murders, because there were so many victims in one (laughs) place, he would start talking, and he would be talking about one victim, and then he would jump to another victim. But the way that the court has to proceed is they have to do, like, they have to talk about Joseph Sr. all the way, and then Julie... And then, you know, and so he tried to bring him back, but he was like he was getting the sick pleasure of reliving his day again. Mm-hmm. And um, the one thing you said that I, I agree with and then also disagree with is like with the whole families being in there and then having to leave. So many times you hear like families of victims go, I just want to know what happened.
1: I don't think that's a good thing sometimes, especially something so bad.
0: No, no, no. I guess what I mean disagree, I don't mean like disagree with you. I think I disagree with that sentiment because it's like, here's a case where there was a serial killer who was like, this is exactly what I did. Mm-hmm. I tied this person up. I shot this person. I stabbed this person. I did this. And I will tell you whatever you want to know, just ask.
1: Mm-hmm. And family members were like, nope, I can't handle that. Yeah. If that was me, and that happened to someone I loved, and that's how they were, like I, d- I don't think I knew I couldn't sit through that. You know what I mean? Well, and I don't. I think at some point, I don't think
0: I think they thought he was going to plead guilty, but then just be like, "Yeah, I did it. I kill. I strangled that person," and not go into detail because he could have said, "I don't. I'm not going to answer it." Because what were they going to do? Yeah,
1: it was more airtime. Yeah, it was more time on TV.
0: Oh no, <laughs> him telling the stories of what happened to these people. You know, maybe one day we'll bring someone can sit back and watch it and like heal and understand. But at the same time, it's like, no, this was mostly about him. This was about him being able to stand in front of the biggest audience who's ever listened to him and say, these are the fucked up things I
1: did to people. Yeah, exactly. This was his victory lap. Oh. So just like everything else, you know, things did move rather quickly, especially because he was so cooperative. Mm hmm. His sentencing was held on August 18th of 2005. He was also supposed to give a statement that was meant to be an apology to the victims and their families, but obviously he didn't give a fuck. So that just basically turned into him talking about himself for another 20 to 30 minutes. Mm -hmm. He was sentenced to 10 consecutive life sentences with a minimum of 175 years. Dennis will not be eligible for parole until 2180. Kansas had no death penalty at the time of the murders, so unfortunately, he could not be given the death penalty. On August 19th, he was moved to the El Dorado Correctional Facility. Here, he was put in solitary confinement for his protection, as their words say, with one hour of exercise a day and showers three times per week. And then I guess beginning in 2006, he was allowed access to television and radio and able to read magazines and other privileges for good behavior, but they still kept materials that would, you know, entice him in any of his fantasies, that kind of crap, away from him. Mm -hmm. Now, 2005, 2006 was the last time Dennis had any playtime with the media, as I will say, because I guarantee that's how he fucking sees it, (laughs) until... Earlier this year. And like Jessica mentioned, uh, his daughter, Carrie Rawson, had released a book. And if you're interested in this kind of thing, I would definitely recommend it. I'm listening to it audio version since that's my preferred version. Pretty good so far. Pretty good so far. So I'd recommend it. He did some correspondence with the Daily Mail. Mm -hmm. And I read through this. There's no other way for me to go through this article besides reading it. So again, I'm going to verbally cite and it's in our sources page. This is from the Daily Mail and I'm just going to be reading basically what he wrote to them because they were writing to each other. Got it. On the top of the page, there's like this picture thing. It's got like a bunch of stuff. It says like February, the month of heartwarmed treasure and epigraph, we walk the beaches of life, never know what may wash ashore. And then he also apologizes for his handwriting and disjointed sentences. He has a supposed stroke last year, and he thinks it has caused short-term memory loss to him. So here is kind of his update in his own words straight from Dennis Rader. Very safe. I believe I'm the facility pet. They take good care of me but sort of hide the world or keep me under close wrap, but I have all the segregation privileges. Live in segregation, own cell, an 8x12 room, nice window, and full metal door with porthole window. Have TV, radio, hot pot, books, and I could call people. Have visitors. Just live alone and can't contact with others outside my cell unless handcuffed. Probably listed as high profile. Here I live 24-7 in my cell. Read, some TV, and if any news and weather on TCM, which is Turner Classic Movies, In the evening, some sports and things like recent ABC News show, 2020, about my daughter and me. Work on art and poetry, write a lot of letters, keep record and book on life, exercise when I can. Do call close friends, that's nice to talk to others, and they come and visit me and send me nice letters and cards. Or buy books for me to read, I call them my cave family. Been here 13 years and 190 days as I write. After a while, you just get tired of the same thing day after day. But keeping busy helps. Also, changing one's routine. Then, plot twist: Raider claims to Daily Mail that he was possessed. So, okay, by two demons that he has named Batter and X Factor when he committed the crimes.
0: Such bullshit.
1: Mm-hmm. So, Raider also writes, "I blame Batter. He or it became the physical scapegoat, which should just be scapegoat, but I'm what he wrote." Uh, sort of a metaphoric frog-looking dragon. I liked frogs and collect figurines at home, probably childhood days fishing at my grandparents' farm pond and big bullfrogs at the pond. Actually, the real demon is what I call Factor X. I have now figured it out. I know why I do these dark deeds. It is no more a mystery to me. So in a way, yes, Batter or Factor X did make me the way I was as I committed those terrible crimes." And then, he says, they talk about a possible 11th victim. There was an 11th victim chosen, but it didn't work out that day. I'm sure if I had not been arrested, she eventually would have been 11. She was to become my retirement victim from the SK, parentheses, serial killer, world. I was getting too old and wanted to back off and still remain BTK. Unsolved cases for who I was, a Wichita mystery. So, and then Daily Mail asked, um, like, what current affairs issues he was interested in. And he responded, impeach President Trump. That's all I will say about him. Believe the worst president ever.
0: Weird that he is so attuned with what's happening outside of his 8 by 12 cell.
1: I mean, he's got a TV and radio. and
0: That's true. I don't think I would care so much.
1: Yeah. And then they just kind of, like, talked about his uh, health and then... <laughs> It's just so weird. He just put, I also either had a stroke or infected by bed bugs on nine twenty five eighteen 18 of that year. Vertigo problem for a long time. Really sick, but much better. I think it affected my handwriting and maybe brain, or it could be my age at 73. Good in my memory, but new memory not so much. Another reason to semi-retire. I have lost some coordination. And... They started talking or, you know, asking him about his daughter and stuff like that. So Raider said, Getting ready to retire from the infamous world spotlight and let my daughter Carrie Rawson take over. Her new book out, A Serial Killer's Daughter. The Daily Mail readers have to read my daughter's book. That gives a lot of family history and love she had for me. She was my tomboy girl. I loved her deeply like the rest of my family. But she grew up, married, a new mother, a new author of a book. I think it will help her heal a deep cut wound and tell others you may love a wolf in sheep's clothing and live to watch out for not normal behavior. I think that's what he meant to wrote. I kind of paraphrase that part because if you guys can't tell, some of his verbiage is like a little off. Uh-huh. But yeah. Or things not quite right to check that person out. Rader also said he is on guard from vipers, people who collect letters and books from him and then sell them as collector items. So he doesn't want to be um, <laughs> extorted. Ooh, He wrote, you have a new viper in your city. I call him DT. He put a book I read, actually a good book to read, five people who you meet in heaven for sale, like $200. He sent it to me. I read it, signed it, and returned it to him. Vipers are people that make money off inmates in their letters, art, poetry, and things they give them. I have about 42 of them listed. But as I age, downsize, there are more viper activity. They couldn't wait until I pass away. It's true. Yeah. <laughs> And that is the end of that article. So that is our 2019 update with uh, Dennis. I don't know what I really expected, but I was just like, what the fuck? So if you want to take a look at that, that's in our sources page, two. But I pretty much read the bulk of that. Uh, I will say there are some pictures on there. Yeah. So just kind of pre-warning. So, um, yeah, that's the BTK, Dennis Rader. Do you have any uh, final thoughts here on that? I mean, he's a weirdo.
0: He's creepy. Very much so. I will say this. This is my final thought. I'm very glad that a lot of serial killers are narcissistic enough to where they have to keep themselves in the media because it helps them get caught. Yes. I think the dangerous ones are those who are like, I can kill you and not give a fuck if anyone talks about me.
1: Yeah. His character flaws, like, thank God they were there or else... He could have lived out his life and died. Who, like, we could have never known who this man was.
0: And honestly, like, if they hadn't done that article in 2004, I think he, like, he mentioned earlier that he was planning on another attack. And I think that's when we would, I think he would have either realized he was too old and couldn't anymore, or that's how we would have found out. So it's good that, because it stopped. And I mean, one of the things I thought that, and I'm going off on a tangent, I'm sorry, that Carrie said was interesting is that, you know, the way she looks at it, it's kind of hard for her because she thinks he should have been caught after the Otero murders. She thinks that there could have been a way that they caught him. But if she said that, she would have never been born that it happened. So it's kind of like for her, mm-hmm. it's like she's dealing with this guilt that right. because her dad assimilated normally into society that, She's there, but 10 people are not.
1: Yeah, the burden that her, her mom, and her brother, you know, their whole family, like, that they have to deal with every day, I just, like, my heart goes out to them. That's just, it's, mm-hmm. it's unimaginable. It truly is. Right. Ugh. Right. But um, I think that is gonna wrap us up here for our episode this week. We hope you guys enjoyed it. If you have any comments, insight, what have you. Feel free to check us out on social media. We love interacting with you guys as always. Don't forget to come hang out with us on our live episode next week in the Facebook group. Again, that's in the show notes for the link to that. Come hang out. It'll be lots of fun. And yeah, we will see you on Thursday for a Stabby Snippet. You guys have a good day. Bye. Bye.